Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of China Inc. by Bamboo Works, where we discuss the latest business and financial news from China and what it all means. I'm Doug Young, Bamboo Works editor in chief, and I'm joined today by Renee Vangustein, one of our founding partners, who's also a longtime China watcher and former investment banker. Today, we'll look at rampant corruption in one of China's top policy banks, namely the China Development Bank. We'll also look at a lawsuit filed in the U.S. by global drug giant AbbVie against Beijing, one of China's leading innovative drug makers. So we'll start with China Development Bank, which has become the latest target in what seems like China's never-ending fight against corruption. The Central Commission for Discipline Inspection, which is often called China's main graft buster, published an article earlier this month slamming the bank for the rampant graft within its walls. This particular bank falls within one of two major classes of banks in China, namely policy banks. Such banks are basically policy tools that help Beijing fund programs like building infrastructure in developing countries under the Belt and Road Initiative. The other group are commercial lenders that are more interested in profit. So, Renee, why are policy banks like the Central Development Bank more prone to this kind of corruption?、Um, after all, we haven't really seen talk of rampant corruption at any of the major commercial banks. Not yet. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? There's always time. I mean, you know, if、um, if we go back in time. Uh, this whole anti-corruption campaign was started,、uh, you know, some point in time after Xi Jinping came to power. And yes, to some extent, it's ten years ago. But on the other hand,、uh, sometimes, you know, for people who have been around China for a long time, there's a feeling that、uh, a vast Number of government officials at different levels of government in the country, state-owned companies, which obviously all people who had some level of power,、uh, that a vast number of them, people and companies, were corrupt. And then you know it's kind of like how quickly can you go after all of them? <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look back, you look at what has happened. There is indeed a sense that this has been going on for a long, long time, and you know they need time to go after every corner of the government, every corner of the SOE world, and so on. That they suspect of having been subject to corruption. Until now, those those banks and and the commercial banks were left alone. You know, these banks had obviously a fair amount of power. I think that over the year they accumulated a lot of power because they obviously were involved with ever-growing sums of money. Mm. And and you know decisions of where to allocate, where to lend, at what rate, and and to which companies, which government, whatever. And maybe they just became too big and and too self-assured of their power. And、uh, at some point in time,、um, something changed. Maybe change、uh, in the standing committee of the Politburo, change in the government. It's hard to tell.、Um, mm. You can, you know, you can never tell for sure. But、uh, this looks like an example of something that you know went on for a long time and is finally coming to an end. Right. Government in China obviously decides、uh, where these banks are to lend money 
for what purpose and so on, then people execute that. But as we all know, when you have the power to distribute money, and it's almost, you know, any government anywhere in the world and, and government-owned institutions anywhere in the world, even in the U.S., inevitably at some point in time, you know, you end up having people who take advantage of the power that they have. I assume that somebody decided that uh, that was the case and it had to stop. Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess, I mean, with this stuff as well, you know, since it's all outside of China, maybe they're feeling a little safer about their corruption because it's harder to trace, you know, than something inside of China. That is possible. I think that there probably also was a feeling, I mean, look, we all know how the world works and and how the world has worked over time in some countries in particular. Even historically, Western companies ended up paying bribes to, um, you know, local governments, local influential, important people and so on. And once you start doing that, I think that there's a big tendency or a big temptation, rather, to say, okay, here's five for you, I keep one for me. Hmm. (laughs) And I'm sure it's very tempting at some point in time. And you're right. I mean, if you do that mostly with uh, companies and governments overseas and so on, maybe maybe there's a a sense of immunity to some extent or, you know, who will find out? Nobody will ever find out or whatever. Right. Right, because they have a lot more authority to investigate things inside of China. Right. Also, one last comment on that. Obviously, this whole effort of, uh, you know, Belt and Road has been a major project of President Xi. And, you know, almost everything uh, had to help accomplish that. And I think that if you look at it from the absolute top and you've got these institutions that are making it happen and so on, and, and the priority is to make it happen and everything, then then maybe things like, is there corruption, you know, take a backseat for a while. Hmm. And uh, and you get to it eventually at some point in time, but the priority is not that for quite a period of time because the priority is to build it. Right, to make the loan. Well, so that that sort of leads into my second question, which is, you know, what are the implications of this crackdown for the kinds of projects that, you know, the Central Development Bank and other policy lenders typically finance. Um, For example, do you think we'll see less of this policy-driven funding going forward, or will the Central Development Bank's existing loans get reviewed for, you know, influence peddling and, and, you know, corruption? Well, no, I I think that will continue. I think that that the issue here seems to be at least purely individual corruption now there seem to be quite a number of individuals but <laughs> yes you know when you're but, in an environment yeah. like that and and you see the top guy doing it then you know then it it, it kind of permeates down through the levels in a, in a company in an institution and so on you know oh he's doing that and it's okay so you know maybe i can do a little bit also and so on and so on i think it's primarily uh, at the uh, individual level i mean i don't think the policy overall vis-a-vis uh you know building infrastructure outside china especially in africa in central asia and in developing countries is is going to change even 
if China loses money on some of the loans that they made, because the drive is not necessarily about, or not uniquely about making money. It's about building a uh, an economic environment, if you want, ecosystem, whatever, that will benefit China, benefit Chinese companies. It's buying friends around the world and, and all of that for, you know, geopolitical uh, reasons, advantage, and so on. So I don't think the policy is going to change. I think that what you will have is some people are going to go to jail, new people are going to come in, they will presumably be clean and uh, put in place by the new government. I'm sure at the very top, they're going to be handpicked probably by President Xi himself. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think this is just going to continue to go on and the cleaning up will happen on the side. I, I don't expect any major change there. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to our, our second topic, which is uh, Beijing. This company, uh, they're a, a big drug maker, and they were sued by AbbVie earlier this month uh, in a story that would be quite common in the West, but we really haven't seen much of involving Chinese drug makers. The lawsuit's pretty run-of-the-mill, involving competing products made by the two companies used to treat blood cancer. AbbVie's product is older and supposedly slightly less effective, which perhaps was why it took the action it did to defend its turf. So Beijing obviously can't be too happy about this. Uh, after all, its stock tanked after the news came out. But, you know, uh, from a bigger picture perspective, this really does seem a bit like a coming-of-age story for China's young but rapidly developing drug industry. Obviously, you don't know too many specifics on this case, but Based on what you've seen in similar instances, how do you see this playing out? Over time, I think, is the answer. Um, these uh, lawsuits and so on never get resolved very, very quickly. Uh, lots of them, in fact, uh, end up to be settled out of court. So um, we'll see. It, it's going to take time. Abvi claimed that there's an infringement of patent that they filed, it's, you know, true or not, it's obvious or not. You know, that's why these lawsuits always take some time as well, because you need experts to go through all the claims and uh, and be able to make sense mm. of uh, whether there was infringement, how much, over what period of time, whether it really caused economic damage, how much, whatever. Mm. So, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in time it got settled out of court. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just, you know, purely as a commercial-based uh, approach to it. Now, there are obviously, you know, also geopolitical issues involved in here because there have been a lot of accusations in the U.S. in particular, but also in Europe. Um, about Chinese companies, I mean, other countries do, but Chinese companies stealing intellectual property, not respecting uh, patterns and all of that. It's, it's always messy. Uh, it's going to take time. And who knows where the truth is, really? Mm, right, right. Is it, is it possible that it's motivated mostly by the fact that Beijing's drug uh, may be more effective and therefore eat into AbbVie's uh, revenues in China and so on, or potentially also outside China at some point in time. Um, that, uh, that, that is quite possible. 
These lawsuits are awfully expensive, highly distracting to management of any company, at least if the lawsuit is, you know, of a certain magnitude. So companies do not do not usually go into debt, uh, you know, in a kind of frivolous way. I mean, you're going to have lawyers involved, experts involved, courts involved depositions of management of all kinds of people at uh, AbbVie and so on and so on. Mm. Um, Beijing is listed in New York in the US, so that adds a dimension here that uh, some other Chinese biotech companies would not have to face. Um, because, you know, once you're listed in the US, then basically US courts start having jurisdiction. So it's uh, it's going to complicate things even more. Right. And also they all sell into the U.S. I think that's, that's right. equally important. I don't know. I would expect a settlement at some point in time. Right, right. And they'll end up licensing. I mean, that's that's how it usually seems to work is the sued company ends up licensing it and paying some sort of back licensing fees and stuff. Okay. Looking sort of on more broadly at the... Chinese drug industry. I mean, you know, this really does seem like one of the first of this kind of lawsuit that we've seen. And and I think, you know, in a, some ways it reflects sort of the rise of China's drug industry, but at the same time, Chinese drug makers, which we write a lot about at Bamboo Works since many are publicly traded, they're becoming a, a major force in, you know, domestic and global markets. And yet the industry is still really fragmented. And Beijing is one of the bigger ones, but there are a lot of small money-losing companies. And actually, Beijing is, is still losing money. Some of these smaller ones may have pipelines of just two or three drugs. How do you see the China drug market developing over time? Do you think consolidation is coming? Uh, you know, And who would be the consolidators, I guess? Well, I think it's going to play out along the lines of how it played out in 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 the U.S. and in the Western world in in general over decades. Um, there has always been consolidation. Some companies will disappear purely and simply disappear. They won't be able to survive. Hmm. Those that will have uh, promising drugs and are small will very likely be acquired by bigger companies once potential acquirers are convinced that uh, the drug in development um, really has benefits and, and potential commercially and obviously from a healthcare standpoint. Hmm. Uh, Beijing being a bigger one could very well be you know, a potential consolidator at some point in time in the U.S. And, and in Europe, in the Western world in general, uh, some of the biotech companies have uh, historically been acquired by Big Pharma. Right. Uh, you know, Pfizer, even the Swiss companies uh, have acquired biotech companies and so on. Um, so you're probably going to see something similar playing out similarly in um, in China. Um, whether Western companies, Big Pharma, would be involved or not, I'm not too sure. The China market from a drug standpoint is, is fairly different, as you may know, because the government basically decides which drug is going to make it and which drug is going to survive and 
at what price right. on the national list. And, uh, you know, there have been examples and, and uh, that have been reported over the years of the uh, government forcing some of the pharmaceutical companies, Westerners and Chinese as well, to basically cut the price of a drug by 60-70%. I think I heard one case where it was 80% if they wanted to be on the national list, which basically is the list of authorized drugs under the Chinese healthcare system. Right. Um, so you're a Western company, and uh, and you look at the China market. You really have to make sure that you have a blockbuster, and that uh, the economics are going to work out for you. So I'm not sure that many would be tempted to buy a Chinese biotech company that is losing money and and struggling a bit, but has, you know, one or two uh, promising drugs in development. I'm not too sure either that uh, the Chinese government would uh, allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, because we haven't really seen any. Uh, I don't think I've heard of any. Although there must have been some, but right, and no, no major uh, acquisitions that I know of. I guess China once again is is a unique market for whatever reason. Okay, to uh, wrap things up at that. Thanks everybody for listening this week. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and rate us and share us on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us again next week for another edition of China Inc. when we'll look once more at the latest trending China business topic. Hope to see you all then. Goodbye for now. Thank you all. Goodbye.